Hello, hello everybody, it's me, Matt, and I am a game master who just can't stop talking about role-playing games. Today we're going to talk about building and running very small dungeons, or tiny dungeons. I'm joined by a friend of the show, Alex, and Alex and I have a, a fun conversation in today's episode. Before I jump to the episode, though, I did have some exciting news to share with everybody. The show has officially gotten affiliate status with Drive-Thru RPG and Hero Forge. Uh, Drive-Thru RPG being a wonderful place where you can get a slew of PDFs and, and you know online gaming resources. Official Wizards of the Coast content, uh, small indie developers, Dungeon Masters Guild stuff. It's really all there, so you can find material, some of the old school stuff. You can find um, supplements created by independent developers and, and all that. So I, I really recommend you guys check them out. And if you're going to do that, you could help me out by using my affiliate link. So I'm going to be posting the affiliate links in the descriptions of every episode. And it, it you know, it, it's to no extra cost to you, but what that'll do is it'll give some of the proceeds of some of the things that you're purchasing to me. A, a small fraction of that will go to the show and it'll help me get better equipment. It'll help me dedicate more time to the show to make it even better. Maybe I can get um, some better editing software. That's something that I've been uh, debating doing. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I would highly recommend you do that for drive-thru RPG. And then there's also Hero Forge. So Hero Forge is a place where you can build your own custom miniatures for for your game. You can make your own player character. There's all the official races in D&D 5e. There's all the different classes. You can fix their hair. You can fix their outfits. You can fix, you know, the size and, and, and all of that. And they're all 3D printed models that will ship over to you for you to paint. They, they're great. And like I said, for the uh, for the other affiliate link, I'm gonna also post the my Hero Forge affiliate link in the description of today's show and, and all future shows. This might not be the last time you hear me say this too. I'll probably say it at the beginning of most episodes for the next little bit, just to make sure that everybody has gotten the news. I'm I'm really really excited. And again, like I said, that it's to no extra cost. So if you're gonna be buying that stuff anyway, I'd highly appreciate it. You do it through my affiliate link. And then without further ado, why don't we get into the actual episode of today? So tiny dungeons. I know we talked about small dungeons, Chris and I, or rather one room dungeons. Uh, it was a long it was a long time ago. It was I think it was in season two. And this conversation is a little bit different. So I, I highly recommend that you listen to this one and then maybe circle back to that tiny uh, to sorry to that one room dungeon discussion. I think there's some interesting, you know, differences that we had. But either way, let's uh, let's get back into the recording. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. We're going to be talking about tiny dungeons. And joining me today is a friend of mine, a longtime friend, a longtime game master, friend of the show, Alex. Alex was my second game master ever, my first game master to ever run D&D 4th Edition which is a hot and spicy edition that a lot of people love and a lot of people hate. I think more people hate it. But anyway, uh, I, I ramble. Alex, why don't you say hi to the listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself and uh, your your preferences as a game master. All right. So hi, everyone. Uh, first, uh, I'd like to thank Matt for having me uh, on the show. Uh, I've been a fan of his show for a while now, and uh, I'm pretty happy to finally be on it. Uh, so I'm, I'm Alex, Matt and I met in university and it was uh, Matt who, uh, introduced me to D&D. Back in that time, fourth edition was, uh, the new edition. So obviously everyone wants whatever's new. So we started <laughs> playing D&D 4E and oh boy, was that a disaster. It's the shiny thing, right? Like you want to play the shiny thing. No one yeah, can exactly. <laughs> And so we we played that for a few years before, I, I don't know when, I, I can't remember when 5e came out, but uh, we played that until 5e came out. And when 5e came out, we were like, oh, thank God, a, a new system that, that just works way better. So we, we switched over right, right to 5e as soon as it came out. But I still use a lot of the content from 4e because I, I had it, right? I had the books, I had the 
everything. Uh, so yeah, I've been playing for, uh, I guess, 12 years now, uh, or maybe 11 years, I guess, as long as uh, me and Matt have known each other for. And um, the reason I play D&D is because uh, it just gets my imagination going. I like to imagine a scene. I like to imagine the details in the scene. What makes it real to me, you know? When you walk into a room, why, why is this place special? Why are you here? How does it smell? What does it look like? And all these little details, these just fire up my imagination. And that's really what drives my, my dungeon mastering. So, so that's what drives me in, in Dungeons and Dragons. Cool. Oh, and yeah. the social social part, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still have. I mean, let's go. I'm gonna go down memory lane a little bit. You can't. Too bad, listeners. You can't stop me. <laughs> um, I have some of the fondest memories still, and I think they're never gonna go away. Of playing D and D in the basement of the math department, but both Alex and I are maths. You know, math graduates. And we had this real crappy lounge. Like, it was so miserable. It was terrible. It smelled <laughs> bad. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, there's mold in there. Yeah, there was, like, a grate that we consistently had to have a pizza box over so that the smells from whatever was below that grate wouldn't, like, poison <laughs> the room. <laughs> I, but, yeah, we would play. It was almost every, I think it was every Friday. We'd just yeah. get, you know, the usual gang together and... As people were finishing their night classes, they'd be walking into the math lounge and they'd see us and you know, their eyes would sparkle and they'd come and be like, are you guys playing Dungeons and Dragons? And, you know, you could hear the, you could hear yeah, the, 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 excitement. the excitement, the crackle. They're just like, oh, this is where the cool stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the, just on a creepier note, the math department was an old orphanage. Um, and so, so that makes it even more creepy because it was an orphanage that was bought by the university and then converted uh, into uh, a math department. And I remember I had an office there and the office, it was like a big bedroom basically, but it had a, its own bathroom and the bathroom had like pink and like hospital green and hospital pink <laughs> tiles. Yeah, the tiles. The tiles were great. Uh, they were like right out of like a, a 60s or 70s movie yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were. It was. It was perfect because as we were playing, if anybody had to take a bathroom break, you could hear when they were done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. anyway, yeah, the good I, old days. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um. All right. Cool. So you know, other other than that, did is there anything about you know your game mastering style that you think would be valuable for the listeners to know? Are are you do you consider yourself to be a hard game master? or more of a, of a facilitative game master, or are there things that you like and dislike you try to avoid at your table? Well, you, you mentioned, we, we mentioned before the podcast, another subject, and I think it, it kind of defines my, my game mastering type very well. It's a rule of the cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like if, if something makes the story go and if something really contributes to the story. I'm, I'm doing it for the story and the richness of the story. So if your actions are contributing to this and they don't rule bend too much, then I'm probably going to allow them. Not allow them, but at least have you roll something for them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's what the skills are for, after all. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more with that. I think it's important to adapt the rules when needed to suit like the needs of your table. And I think adapting the rules also fits to our theme for today. So today we're going to be talking about tiny dungeons and I'm interested to see how we adapt the rules of dungeon design to a very small space. I think that's going to be uh, a challenge and a thrilling thing for us to try to do. Um, but before we do that, I think we're going to do the thing that we usually do on the show and it's define what it is we're talking about. So, you know, tiny dungeons, I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But it might be surprising how uh, yeah, you, hard... Yeah, how many rooms is in a tiny dungeon? Yeah. Is that one room, or is it like five rooms? Because exactly. I've seen dungeons, some some dungeons, like you look there, like on multi-levels, and they have like 40 to 60 rooms per level. That's in, like To me, that's insane. I would never run that as a DM. Uh, mm -hmm. And so tiny dungeons, I've kind of always uh, taken um, a dungeon and shortened it. So I, I take a lot of dungeons from the books, and then sometimes I'm just like, wow, my players are going to take weeks just to like do half of this level. This is insane. So I try to get the gist of what what's the purpose of this dungeon, and then cut all the fat around it. And 
not I don't want to I don't want it to sound bad like I, I guess if I say cutting the fat out of a dungeon uh, means like you're taking the fun away from it no you're not taking the fun away from it you're you're taking the parts of it that don't necessarily drive the story mm-hmm. I like as a DM I like my story to drive and I like that at the end of a session my players feel like they've accomplished something and if you have a dungeon with 40 rooms if you're accomplishing something, cool. But most of the time, in my experiences, 40 rooms never help you accomplish anything. Yeah, I recently saw a map. I, I'm not going to say which map it was, but there was like all these hallways everywhere. And, and I'm like, how, how is that fun for anybody to just walk down hallways, picking a direction, left, right, forward? Oh, it's another hallway. I also thought to myself, who has enough pictures to line that many hallways? Like, nobody. Well, (laughs) not just that, but if you're doing that, one thing that people, I don't know if people forget about this, but it doesn't mean that if you're, it doesn't mean that if you're in a dungeon and you're, you're trying to get the story to play out, you could narrate a part of the dungeon. You don't Mm -hmm. need to have it in front of you. So if you want your players to get lost in strings and strings of hallways, uh, then you just narrate that part, and that's okay. Um, Absolutely, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and you could just cut it out like you do with a graph. You know, you, you put lines through like a, a hallway in a smaller dungeon, and say, and then narrate that part. I think we've we've landed on what a tiny dungeon isn't. You know, it's not this big sprawling space. It doesn't have forty rooms. It's not going to have all these hallways and mazes and things that necessarily. You know, it doesn't have the scope of exploration that a large dungeon might have. But yeah, what what's like what is a tiny dungeon, Alex? Is it is it one room? Like you walk into a crypt and there's nothing else? Is is that a tiny dungeon, or is there more to it? Like, are there elements of this space that need to be included for us to still quantify something as a tiny dungeon, or or at least in your mind, what are the must haves on this checklist? Well, um. I guess there's a few ways you could see it. Uh, I guess a tiny dungeon could be anywhere from one to maybe, I, I don't know if I'd go past 10 or 12 rooms, uh, depending on the size of these rooms, and I'd count corridors as rooms. Um, and I think what I'm looking for in a dungeon is, I guess, a typical um, dungeon definition. So so if you could refresh my memory, in, in a typical dungeon, as I guess defined by the community, yeah. is... Absolutely. So I actually, I, I was looking it up during our little break there, and I was a little bit wrong in my interpretation of it but last time when I was explaining it to you. But as effectively, and this is from this is from John Four. He defines a five-room dungeon, or at least he says there are five elements to a dungeon. And the first element being a guardian. So there should be somebody that prevents the like forward movement or exploration in the space. It can be one person, it can be a faction. I, th- I think in this case, it's more somebody protecting. Like, why hasn't this dungeon been looted? Well, it's because there's somebody stopping them from well, coming it, in. It could be, it, it could be a, a non-living thing too, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It doesn't need to be a person or like a group of kobolds or what, whatnot. It could be like, well, there's a magical force or there's, um, I don't know, a maze, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could be it could be like a spell, it could be a really intricate trap, things like this. Mm-hmm. But so there's something guarding the way. Then they also say that there ought to be puzzles and or role-playing challenges. And this is I think it's in an effort to kind of strike off, you know, another side of this hobby, which is the role-play, which is the like more social elements. Another thing that they talk about is having a setback or another, also known as like a false boss. So some kind of enemy that you have to fell, some kind of big challenge that you have to overcome that makes the players feel like they've reached the end. They've, they've done what needs to be done, only to realize that there's more. And this really makes them think, oh, should we turn back? Should we go heal up? Should we rest? And I think this is, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think this is more appropriate in a large dungeon because there's that sense of distance. But uh, I, I, I think I don't agree with that part of a dungeon. Uh, well, maybe because I, I haven't played one that was uh, that convinced me, mm. uh, maybe. But I feel like the players I play with, and 
I, I've had a few different groups and people always try to plan out everything. They, they don't want to die. They don't just YOLO this. They, they go, they don't just Leroy Jenkins into this. They, they kind of plan <laughs> it out. And, and so if you're with a group of people that kind of Leroy Jenkins and just go for it, then that sure that I guess that would work pretty well. But in my experience, players like to plan things out. So if you have this kind of false boss, as soon as they finish it, they might want to leave to go and stock up, get their power-ups, you know, short rest, extended rest, and whatnot. And I find that this really breaks the flow, and it, it makes it so that the people didn't really accomplish anything that time. Because if you're going in a dungeon, and then you're you're in, um, in, a, in initiative, then... That's going to take time. People take time. And, and I like a fast-paced game where, you know, you take your turn. When your turn arrives, like, what are you doing? Are you swinging your axe? Are you casting a spell? You're not looking in the rule book. I, I, I never really had a lot of patience for that kind of player. But, I mean, they're, they're always there. And I, myself, am, gu am guilty of doing it sometimes. So I can't be too harsh. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, Alex. But I, I think... I think this. I personally, I think it makes a lot of sense to have this this kind of like false. I'm calling it a false boss is maybe the wrong word, but it, it's 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 this thinking false sense of achievement. Yeah, it's this thinking piece. It's like okay, we did quite a bit here. We we beat this thing. Probably got some treasure out of it. But like, do we circle back? And if we circle back, what does that mean? Is all our progress for nothing because the enemy is just going to fill their dungeon back up again, or the necromancer is going to make more skeletons, or whatever? Like, I, you know, you know, like I, I think there's like a, it's a decision point um, where people can test their luck and say, mm, maybe we keep going, maybe we don't. I, but I, I do see what you're saying about the pacing. Like, it would it would really slow the game down. Well, quite. A well, bit. that's the thing. Like, you, you see the push your luck thing. Like, I'm I'm not even like I'm not convinced that players would would really push their luck especially if you're in a more serious game with with players that like you know you've been playing this game for months or years even yeah. and you have players there i don't know that they're going to push their luck with a character they're very attached to so that's why i think that they would be in the dungeon and then they would leave and then come back and then you kind of like there's a i feel like there would be a disconnect but i mean what do I know? I'm just a, I'm just a DM <laughs> <laughs> and, and a player. <laughs> no, that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. There's so yeah. many ways to tackle this stuff, right? And then the the last the last piece that gets added here, or actually, sorry, no, not the last. I mean, the last piece is the climax to have the big bad boss or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then and then the last piece of advice to build a regular dungeon is to include rewards. And mm -hmm. these rewards are often split into rewards that are easy to find or rewards that are kind of on the surface so that the players don't quote unquote waste their time in the dungeon. They still make progress. They still come out of it feeling yeah. like they found something, but then you also have hidden rewards. So these rewards are things that when a player pokes around a little bit more, they might find something that's really off the beaten trail and feel like their curiosity was rewarded and it, it incentivizes them to, to continue to kind of, poke and probe in the spaces that you present to them. I feel like these rewards is like the best place to give back to your players yeah. in their, um, not just like material stuff, but, but things that relate to their backstory. Maybe um, the rewards I think is a, like a great way to, to motivate your players. And uh, I remember when I started playing in my first few years, I was always afraid of giving rewards. Mm. I didn't want my games to become a kind of like cheap way of just getting, oh, I got this super cool 5,000 gold piece thing and uh, we got three of them today. And then it just kind of like devaluates the, the item. But I feel that the opposite is also true. If you don't give enough to your players, then they're not necessarily going to be motivated to keep diving into your dungeon. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and I think when we look at this through the lens of a really small dungeon, I'm thinking most of these things still apply here. I still want there to be something guarding the space, preventing the players from coming into it or, or posing some kind of challenge to them. I don't think I want a false boss, though. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't think you want them any anytime. Sounds like. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's the thing. Uh, well, I guess, yeah. I like, like I said earlier, I, I like when a game, when you played a 
three, four hour session or sometimes even just a two hour session and you've accomplished something. So I feel like false bosses kind of get in the way of this unless you're doing a dungeon and you're doing one dungeon and you're taking a whole year to do the dungeon. But um, I feel like, the, you know, when you have a bigger dungeon, you have so many rooms. And so the role of a room isn't quite as critical. But when you're doing a micro dungeon, the role of each room is is really critical, really. You can't, there's no spare room for just like a, oh, you're doing like an off room here with a couple goblins in it or whatnot. Like a distraction. Every room needs to have a purpose. Well, to me at least. That's and a really so, good point. I think that ought to be in our definition here. I think a micro dungeon yeah. is designed with incredible intent. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Exactly. Every room has to have intent and that meaning that every room will give something to the players, uh, whether it be narratively or a, like, you know, a reward or even plays into their backstory. Every room is going to feed the players something. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's the important part in a dungeon is you want to feed the players so they keep going. Uh, but after a certain point, you're kind of like, okay, well, let's do something else. Maybe that's just me and, and some ADHD uh, that likes to... That's why I like micro dungeons, <laughs> because it's just like, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's go to something else after, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think... I think I have a pretty good understanding of what, we, what we're saying when we say micro dungeon now. Do you feel like we missed anything? Is there any elements of a micro dungeon that we... Part of our quote-unquote definition, or does this kind of... Small space, designed with intent, have have peppered rewards in there, and then fits for the most part the rest of the definition yeah. of, of a dungeon. Which would be a guardian, um, uh, an owner of the dungeon. Um, yeah. There'd be a, a boss. Um, and then, yeah, we said the rest. So, yeah, I think that, I think that, that works. Okay, so now let's get into the... I mean, that was fun, but let's get into the even more fun part, which is you know, talking about our experiences and talking about some of our strategies. And I kind of want to talk about strategies right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the ball is rolling, but obviously Alex, if you, if you think of examples that fit some of this, please, please bring them uh, to Absolutely. the forefront. So I, I'm thinking, you know, we're saying we want to have each of these rooms have a lot of intent, but how do we do that? How, like, you know, for someone listening who wants to make a micro dungeon for their party for their next game, what what kind of strategies would you employ, Alex, to to make sure that this five or six room space feels like it has like a lot of purpose? Well, I'm going to compare a dungeon to uh, a house. You when you enter the dungeon, you're in the entrance. You're in a main, I guess, vestibule or not a main, or like a first vestibule, uh, and so it's your doorway to the dungeon. Why is it your doorway to the dungeon? Is it are you at the back of a waterfall? If so, that's going to define a lot. There's going to be humidity, mushrooms growing, moss, and so that's going to help you kind of define everything. So it kind of gives you the feel of the dungeon, right? So this first room, I find the intent for me is very important because I'm not necessarily going to put a, a a bad guy in there, or I'm not necessarily going to put a challenge in there. Actually, I always do, but it's not necessary. <laughs> Uh, but this first room uh, is going to set the tone for your dungeon. Uh, and then at the end of this room, I'll probably have a puzzle or a trap. I don't like to put it right in their face. Uh, or sometimes I do. You know, if you've done a couple of these in a row, you like to switch things up. Maybe the trap is the waterfall going in. Uh, I don't know. But Or maybe, yeah, maybe they were launched into this dungeon and then they're kind of like, okay, where am I? Um, so yeah, that's the, the intent of the first room is really an introduction. Like, hi, hi, dungeon. Who are you? <laughs> what do you have to give me? I, I really like that you talked about how it's an introduction because I, I play them out like this, sometimes a little different too. I, I actually consider my first room, I, maybe for the context for the listeners too, I really like micro dungeons and I also use them a lot. And usually my first quote unquote room isn't even a room. It's the, it's the space before you enter the room. Like, yeah. you're talking about your waterfall. It's the outside of the waterfall. Like, for me, my first room is you see the waterfall, but you know there's a tunnel through the middle. And you see maybe some broken spears outside. Like, okay, there's, 
there's somebody here like it's there's it's, like it's a not... spear sticking in the waterfall like oh why is that in the waterfall you exactly it? yeah. it's stuck so, like, in a wooden post behind the waterfall and why I, why i like doing this is because and and maybe i'm going to bleed into some other stuff here but it's because i i really enjoy my micro dungeons to be construct way where a lot of the rooms are pathways to other rooms so it's like yeah there's only five spaces in this room in this dungeon but room a and room c and room d connect somehow and room b and c and d connect somehow so it's kind of like this weird cobweb where there is never just a linear path from one two three four five but you can kind of pick your own way through and um, what's fun about doing this, I've done this before, and it's the power of like choice, right? So yeah. your players are going to make a choice, uh, but the, the really what's fun about it being such a small dungeon, you could start planning out a web of consequences to those choices. And if you have like a 40-room multi-level dungeon, then that web of consequences, you could probably keep it simple, but it's probably really easy to kind of start spreading out and then being lost in your own web of you know decisions decision-making tree or whatnot but when you have a small dungeon like this it's like it's you're in the main room it's a or b right you're in room a you're going to d or you're going to c or what or whatever uh and so if you pick this then this happens if you pick that then that happens and then done and you don't you know you're you don't have cascading choices it's just it happens and then as a dm it's easy to keep track of yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. So that's that's kind of the first room. What what else? What's next? How do we give more attention to to some of the stuff further in? Well, um, I think you need to to motivate the players to go there. So why is the player pushing in this dungeon? Uh, is he looking for something? Then you might give out a hint for that. You know, if, is he looking for the lost banner of uh, bannermen lords or whatever? <laughs> Insert generic king's name here you put out uh, um, like a motivation. So maybe there's a piece of like, oh, there's a piece of metal that looks like it could come from a flagpole or, or whatnot. And then, you know, players spot that. So that would be the kind of like the the gifts that we give out, the the, the loot that, I guess not the loot, but the, um, what's the word? The I'm rewards, for? yeah. The, the rewards, rewards, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the rewards that are, are a given that people can't miss. Right, so maybe that's going to motivate them into the next room. Maybe they're going to hear something. But sometimes I don't know. I find that the the senses don't always appeal to the players. Um, mm. Depends, I guess, on the player style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I personally, when once the players are in the dungeon, like like this, like you're saying, with a couple steps in, that's usually where I put somebody else. There's another adventurer who's already like because a micro dungeon is smaller, it's usually more accessible. Unless there's like this giant stopping them from coming in, there's probably going to be a lot of foot traffic, or or at least as far as dungeons are concerned. So I like having somebody else there that's not an enemy. You know, like I I make it explicit that this isn't someone that they should fight. They can if they want, I guess. But it's the, usually another adventurer, or it's like maybe a town guard who's like, this is part of the town now. I guess I'm making sure there's no bandits in here, and they like. They're walking in and they're like doing their like really half-ass <laughs> like guard duty and they come out. And so it's it kind of creates this opportunity for players who want to know more to talk to like it's like a role play situation. It's a it's a moment to like engage if they want to, but it's not forced on them, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of having a shrine or an object that people can interact with. If you have like a cleric or, or something like that, then you might have a shrine in there and then he prays to it and then he receives some kind of message from a god too. Because that could be another point of interaction that could captivate your players. So, mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, you also talked about something, Alex. You said having, having these surface level rewards. I, I think that is a really good way in a micro dungeon or in any case really to encourage players to move forward right you you put something shiny that the players are going to walk towards and this is this is like philosophy of game design in not just role playing games like i feel like a lot of video games do this a lot of movies yeah, breadcrumbs, right? It's classic. It's Hansel and Gretel. I think that Hansel and Gretel is that the yeah, breadcrumbs? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's breadcrumbs and uh i don't know is it railroading 
Uh, no, not necessarily, because your breadcrumbs aren't necessarily right. You have two paths, and you have two different breadcrumbs. Uh, so it's open world, but you, those these breadcrumbs are really important to get your your players to, to find a direction. Because sometimes when a, a world is too sandboxy, you don't really know what to do in it, and then your players, especially with newer players, then they're like, "Well, now I really don't know." And and it's even when it's super obvious, it's funny to see how sometimes people. <laughs> They passed right by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like, oh, it must be a trap. We couldn't possibly go open the chest. Maybe it's a mimic. And they like just <laughs> spend 45 minutes trying to come up with a way to avoid whatever kind of disaster might happen if they open the treasure. You know, like it's just for me, what baffles me the most is when I put like a mimic or a trap like that. I'm like, this is really obvious. And then it's like a double negative. It's like, it's so obvious that they're, you're going to think that, Oh, he couldn't have done that. And then they just yeah. walk right into it. And you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's the best. It's happened to um, me a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you also talked about having like a clergyman or, or something in, in a space. And I, I think that that speaks to like a, the greater purpose of the, of the dungeon. Right. And mm -hmm. you alluded to it before too. I, I think more so than ever dungeon masters or game masters, when they design a micro dungeon need to be very conscious of why the space is there. Like, why does it exist? What's its purpose? In the game world, not just like in relationship with the players, but make it make sense as a functional space. And players don't need to know the function. That's mm -hmm. the magical part. Yeah. That's the beauty part of it. They might be walking into a, a chapel. I mean, a chapel doesn't need to be that big. There's a one main space, maybe a couple parts here and there, like a room in the back, a preparation, another preparation room. But they don't really know it's a chapel because it's in it's been looted and ransacked so many times. Uh, but then if they, they dig enough, and this is part of the, the hidden loot, if they dig enough, then they discover that it is. And then they 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 discover maybe it's part of an old religion. They're like, hey, wait a minute. This religion is from that town. Why why is there a chapel like this here? And then it just gives so much more richness to the world. Yeah. And and you, you talked about something that I've never, I don't think I've done recently, but there there was a time when I did something like this and I made that part of like the quote unquote puzzle. You know, once the players figure out what kind of space this is through environmental storytelling, if they piece it together, they can be like, oh, wait, this is a dungeon that's actually a temple to this god. I know that this god is like this or like that. So if I go digging around in, like, under the second chair, there's going to be a treasure or whatever. And Because the god always puts a uh, treasure under the second chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really bad yeah. example. But if, yeah. if I, you know what I mean? Like, I know exactly what you mean. It's not like an explicit puzzle, but these are the kinds of environmental things that you can do in a micro dungeon, especially, right? Because everything mm -hmm. is fresh. They're going to remember the six rooms because there's only six of them and they did them all tonight. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the important part, right? It's it's the pacing and what they, they felt like they've accomplished. If that night they were wandering around town, you know, did a housekeeping things, and then they, boom, they go into that dungeon somehow, and then they, they realize how this micro dungeon or whatever is related to the world, then they, they feel like they walk, they go home after, and they're like, wow, I... I really like opened up like a door and saw like a panorama of what this world is about. And, and I think that's, that's really, really awesome. It's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's fun. Do, do you have any uh, situations or, or, or examples that come to mind? Like, so yeah, I actually built a few uh, smaller dungeons out of a package I got out of Kickstarter. Uh, and the package is called, and it's great. I, I, I forgot if it was a Kickstarter or something else but I'm sure you could find them online. I think he has a website now. They're called uh, One Million uh, Maps. Uh, and okay. so the person who did this has a lot of maps and some of his dungeons are really big. So what I did is I just cropped parts of them out. So it's a really nice package. You have so many maps and it's like, uh, it wasn't that expensive. It was like maybe five, $10. And anyway, so I, I took this this one dungeon and I kept reusing it. And turns out uh, this dungeon it felt like uh, a little town because there were shops and there was like all these things going on, but they were actually in a Nautilus. They were actually in a flying ship. 
And cool. I think you played this game. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't realize you're in a flying ship until later. And then these hints keep on, on going, right? You get into the basement and then there's like pipes and steam vents and like these things going going on here and it was like a I guess a steampunk nautilus and then they figure out like wow I'm in a ship and I'm flying and and like I've been playing in this for a few hours and I just realized now that I'm in a ship uh and it was being controlled by mind flayers and and it was it was pretty cool uh so I used that one a couple times actually because I spent a lot of time uh programming it on roll 20 with dynamic lighting and and stuff um but that was a really fun one and uh, it was kind of cool to to have this like trick uh, or not this trick, but you know the situation where the players really had no idea where they were, and so it was the beginning of a campaign too. So it was easier to justify that, like, oh, all the players wake up in a bed <laughs> laying next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember playing that, and it, it was a lot of fun. And it's kind of like this plot twist. It's basically a plot twist, right? Yeah. It's it's this aha moment. Oh, it, we spent two hours doing this, and now we find out. That they're we're in a flying airship. It's it, yeah. it was a really cool like change of perspective, and I think yeah that kind of speaks to what we've been saying, right? It's a, a micro dungeon allows you to do that in such a condensed way that the players can kind of come to that realization on their own. Because if we had spent three months playing on this on this yeah. flying ship. You know the the clues, yeah. The clues would have been too spread out. Like we would have forgot. We would have spent two weeks in between game, like just not realizing that you know these were the clues that we should have been following. You know what I mean? So, yeah. For me, one that I really like, and I only I've only run it once. Um, I'm gonna have to run it again. It was in a one shot actually. I I also. I guess that's my plug for one shots are a great place for micro dungeons because you want the one shot to be done fast. But yeah. um, it, it was in one shot. <laughs> it was Five uh, shots, one shots. <laughs> <laughs> Happens too often. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it was my micro dungeon was actually a garden. It was a, a garden of a king of a king's castle. And it was one of these little uh, heist games that I usually run. You, you've played mm -hmm. in a few of them, Alex. Yeah. And basically, you know, the players start their game. They're in the, like, vestibule that leads to this courtyard garden. And each of the quote-unquote rooms was a different part of the garden. You know, you had one spot where there was a hedge that fenced in a space with a nice flower bed. There was another space where there was like a, a greenhouse. So that was like the inside of the greenhouse was another one of the rooms. There was an archery range that was off to the side and kind of protected by these like wooden structures, like almost like pergola type structures. So you'd go into the pergolas and that would be one of the rooms. And then you'd go to the archery range and that was another one of the rooms. And it was kind of a little bit silly, to be honest. Like the mission that these people were going after was to destroy all of the uh, self-righteous homages that the king had done to himself in his own garden. So he had like a statue in one of the spaces. He had a flower bed that like wrote his name out. And it was all kind of like overly, like overly silly. But what I really, really liked about the space was that I designed it in a way that it felt like it belonged to someone who was so full of himself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Only somebody with too much money would have would do this. Yeah, would do this. Would have would, the audacity to do this. Exactly. I think I remember that game you guys were playing. I couldn't make it that night, but and then I I, I came. I, I think you guys were playing it on Discord, and I I, I popped in the game uh, just to spectate the last minutes of it. That was pretty interesting. And and what I liked about about it, and what I think is really fun, is the amount of details you could put into a micro dungeon. I guess you could do this with a big dungeon too, but. When you only have five rooms, it's so much easier to come up with descriptions for them. And so so all your different rooms, like, you know, you, you just mentioned a few elements that you were describing, like the archery range that was like in a pergoda type structure, but you could really image it for the players. And, and this kind of, of description, I feel, takes a lot of time in your, your prep, uh, where you're just writing maybe like a paragraph, maybe 150, 200 words to describe a place. But if you have 40 rooms, they're all gonna, you're not gonna spend that much time writing a description for them. But if you have five or six rooms, 
I think it's worth taking 25, 30 minutes of your time to really go really, really in deep and describe these rooms when they're entering them, just to really bring them alive. Uh, yeah, the descriptions are important because, like you said, it's it's a small space. You want it to be memorable. You want it to be vivid, right? So yeah, having descriptions. I, I don't tend actually to to write out descriptions so much anymore. That's something that... Oh, I'll just write out elements. Yeah, like, I'm not yeah, going to write yeah. a paragraph, but I'm going to write out elements. But you can take time, like a time to do exactly, this. Exactly, for sure. Um, we talked about good, good micro dungeons, but have you experienced bad ones? Alex. Definitely. And I'm the guilty party. <laughs> <laughs> Bad micro dungeons. You know, uh, when you walk into a dungeon and the dungeon has no purpose, I know we talked a lot about purpose and that's why I've been putting so much emphasis on it. But if you have a room in your dungeon and your room is just there because you're you're missing the point. You're the the players. You're give. You're presenting something to your players. You're presenting them a platter, but there's nothing on the platter. It's kind of insulting for a player if you think about it. Where you're, you say you walk into a room, but there's nothing special about it. So your players are going to spend time try to investigate something, and they're never going to find anything. They're going to spend time in that room trying to figure out what its purpose is, but there's no purpose. And so, so many times in my early DMing career where I fell in this trap of like, oh, this is a cool map, I'm just going to use it and not read it, because probably there was an intent to that room, but you didn't read it because uh, maybe I was too last minute or whatnot. Uh, and then your players, just you just waste their time. And, and I mean, especially now that we have uh, families, uh, you know, our time is so precious, so you want every minute of that night to be fun. And spending time in in a room with no purpose yeah and you know what i'll i'll pull that even a little farther alex i've run games before where there was purpose to a room but it was such a mundane purpose i was like you know what i designed a space and like well obviously they need somewhere to sleep so i'm gonna put a barracks room but like mm -hmm. the, but it's so it, it's like devoid of any personality like or at least when i created it it was devoid of personality it was like okay here's a room with 10 bunk beds and like maybe not just like personality but sorry to cut you off not just personality but there's no story advancement in this yeah room. exactly so i find that the lesson learned that i have of this is like yeah you want to put purpose but not only should the room be like functionally useful in its purpose but it also needs to be purpose. Like there needs to be a purpose for the players to want it. Like there needs to be something for them to engage with. Maybe there's a guard sleeping in one of those beds and they can interrogate the guard. Maybe there is a key that they can find. And, and you put it like you hang the key up on the key ring at the end of the room. You make one of the characters walk to that end of the room, grab the key, and then something happens. Then the guard wakes up in the bed be like, who the hell are you? Now this room's interesting. Yeah, and then you create some dialogue, you create some some role play, and and this is where we get our fun out of. I totally agree. Yeah, so that was that was my mistake. I, I and I'm guilty of it. I I was guilty of it a lot actually. Like I did it several times where I would focus so much on the in like the the purpose of the room. The, the, why does the space exist? But like functionally and not from like a quote unquote entertainment value. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to still make these spaces entertaining. That that's yeah. Oh, that's our job as a game master, you know. All right. So I mean, we talked a little bit about it, Alex, already throughout our discussion, and that's the topic of rewards. But I, I wanted to circle back to it in case you had more things to say. I know I have a couple of little tidbits that I want to throw in here, but I'll throw you the mic first. You know, at, when we consider a micro dungeon, where should rewards go? How many rewards is is a good amount, like things like this. Like, what are the things we should consider? So, uh, I'm looking at purpose in your story. Why did your characters go into this dungeon, um, this micro dungeon? And so, so if your characters are looking for the banner, then obviously you're you're gonna want them to have a way to get that banner. So uh, we're gonna talk about this, I think, in a moment. But you know, are they? Do they have to go through a boss? Is there a main puzzle, or what's yeah. you know what's gonna happen so they get this reward? Um, so I, depending on the situation, I like to have an obvious reward in a dungeon. Uh, and so, yeah, you're in the blacksmith's 
dungeon, so there's going to be some cool weapons there. You're in, you know, the king's dungeon, micro dungeon, so there's going to be a cool treasure. Or maybe you're in your long lost old family home that you thought was you know destroyed by a volcano but it's not and it's not and you're going to find a family heirloom that you're going to keep and it's going to kind of drive your story and so so that's kind of cool but i find those rewards you know you have to have a challenge for them it's nice to have smaller rewards that the players get just because they chose to do the dungeon mm -hmm. um right so your your players are doing a choice and you might want to reward them or give them a consequence, right? So maybe instead of a reward, you're going to say, well, ah, well, too bad. You're kind of stuck here and you lost this part of, you know, the story and you could never, your character could never do this ever again. Oh, or maybe it's the opposite. Like, oh, well, you know, you found a fairly heirloom uh, ring and cool. It gives you plus one to, or advantage, sorry, not, it's not fourth, it's fifth. <laughs> <laughs> gives you advantage on, you know, this kind of throw or what whatnot. So so I, I think it could be something like that. I like to give uh some rewards that I like to give are items that could be used once. Mm, uh, so like they're gonna too. be strong items, but they can only be used once and then they're 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 done. So I remember once I gave I think it was with you guys in my in the campaign that started from that micro dungeon in the Nautilus. And um, I gave someone uh, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil statuettes. And they all had a purpose. I can't remember exactly. I have it written down somewhere in my notes. But all these these statues could be used only once. So, that, for example, the speak no evil, I think if it was thrown you know, at an enemy or on the ground next to an enemy, if he's casting a spell, then it mm. mutes him. Like, it makes him... Um, uh, not death, but uh, he can't talk for you know X amount of time, and then that could save you. That's really powerful, but you could only use it once. Yeah, I I really like that kind of reward too. I find them a lot of fun, and I find it. I, I'm gonna sound like an evil person, but I find it fun watching my players like, should I use it or not? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should use it because if they do use it, then you could give more rewards, yeah, and absolutely. it just creates so many awesome narrative fun stories. Yeah, after yeah, you know sure. and you remember the game because you had it yeah i and i think alex what you said about how there's usually like something pushing them into the dungeon i think that's a hundred percent true i think that's a fantastic way to implement a micro dungeon the players learn about the lost treasure or the lost shield of the viking raider who died in his crypt with his shield okay now they're gonna go get the shield like that's yeah. why they're going into the micro dungeon Real quick, I'm just going to say, I think in a micro dungeon, you shouldn't have more than like three or four rewards total, like including secret rewards. Because I yeah. think if you have too much more than that, you start to like lose the devalue the rewards. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Yeah, you're yeah, we talked about this devaluating uh, yeah. objects. I, I agree with that. Um, all right. So I'm looking at the clock. I want to, we want to talk about boss fights. I also want to really quickly talk about just enemies. Um, so before we get to boss fights, Alex, real quick, I'm just going to say, I think a great type of enemy to have in a micro dungeon is like a, a wild, like a little literal wild animal, something that isn't, um, very intelligent, maybe like a snake or a gelatinous cube or like something that would naturally be in that space because of its environment in addition to sentient creatures. So you kind of have this like dichotomy of the... Oh, we gotta look out for the guards. Gotta look out for the guards. But then you open up a box, and in the box is a snake, and it jumps out at you. And maybe that's a bad example, but like to have these no, two yeah. dimensions of enemies in the like, small space can be fun. Yeah, like I, I guess like uh, not non not aligned enemies, enemies that don't have any alignment, and uh -huh, then you have. Uh -huh. You have your, I don't want to say enemies, because then that kind of implies a fight, but you That's have your true. objective, and you have your, uh, the whatever's stopping you, the the, the resistance force, because <laughs> yeah, it's the, not the necessarily an enemy, right? right? The yeah, the guardians, guardian. yeah, exactly. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think non-combat encounters definitely have their, their room, and mm, I, I sure. almost prefer to have those, because they're so much more fun, because of this, the player interaction. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now let's talk about bosses. What What is a boss in a micro dungeon? And how is that different, if they're different, from a boss in like another context, in like a big dungeon or whatever? 
Well, I think in a big dungeon, you'd expect to have someone that's sentient, that's alive, or just sentient in, in any way, like a mm -hmm. spirit or, you know, a a person. But in a micro dungeon, I think your boss could be a trap, a non-combat encounter that your your players are going to go through because you're not, you know, there isn't, maybe there isn't, uh, the reason for your players to go into this dungeon isn't narrative necessarily to the main story. Maybe it's a side quest. Maybe it's um, part of the main quest, but, you know, it's the boss's, summer house you know yeah, and if it's exactly. the boss's summer house well he's not going to be there because it's not summer it's winter or whatever uh and so maybe he's he left a trap behind or he left something else and so that's why i think um the, the boss isn't necessarily a person it could be a trap and it's so you can point. really downplay the the importance of the boss in a micro dungeon yeah yeah for sure i i think you still want like to add to that, I think you still want there to be a moment of tension, a moment of like drama of like, okay, the room's filling with water or mm -hmm. somebody's trapped in the trap. Like the trap triggers on somebody and they're getting yeah. hurt and you got to get Absolutely. them out. You, Absolutely. You still want that tension, but you're right. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need to be like the, a Zelda boss where you fight this big gigantic monster because A, there's probably not room for it. Yeah. B, it's, it's... You don't want to also like by by making these big bosses happen in a micro dungeon, it loses the sting of a big boss in mm -hmm. another context. So you got to be careful of that for sure. Exactly, and and maybe like I said, you know, I'm gonna go back to this uh, summer house of the big villain. Uh, maybe the story you're playing, and this could be a cool thing to do, is your players are going to go through a series of micro dungeons and then they're going to get to the big boss. And so someone could say, well, why don't you just string it into one dungeon? Well, if you're doing multiple micro dungeons, it gives you the chance to have a variety in your narrative um, and just have the players travel. And your uh, environment, exactly. Your, and your, your environment is changing. Is its own environment, which exactly, uh, like yeah, exactly, like we said earlier, and then each micro dungeon will give you a piece of the story, and maybe you get to one micro dungeon and oh, you didn't do the trap correctly, so it trap triggers, and instead of harming you, it sends like a message or an owl or an animal messenger to the boss, and then the boss knows you're there, mm -hmm. right? And then you're like, whoa, crap, we have to leave, or we have to. So, so I, I find like micro dungeons are opportunities to give your players variety in your story. Whereas when you have one big dungeon, then you're kind of stuck with that narrative or that play style or that, that feel. No, I agree with that a lot. And you said something really cool, actually, that's pretty unique to micro dungeons, I think, is exactly this, this ability to string them together with other content in between. We didn't talk about this when we talked about rewards, but I think a really interesting reward to give players in a micro dungeon context, I mean, in any context, but especially in a micro dungeon, is a reward that's a seed for the next micro dungeon. So it's, yeah. it's like a piece of a treasure map that's half broken in half, and it's like a new zone that, that it's going to kind of pique the curiosity of the players to go that way or maybe so they're like, going to discover like a new town and then they're going to discover a new like harbor master or a, a wharf master or whatever you call them and then they're going to make friends with him and then they're going to have like a rich experience so you'll have like the next session that comes they they travel to this place they meet new people and then they they figure out where this next micro dungeon is and they they do it and then boom you have your next session that's done already for you uh I think it's great. Absolutely. It's it's a great way. And I, I think, too, that the boss can be part of that, right? We call them the boss, but really I think it's just like a big challenge is kind of what we've come to an agreement on. But that big challenge could also be a way for you to foreshadow the next thing. So maybe the boss has like a – has like not a name tag, but, you know, has like a ranking and a, a, a key badge or an insignia that you haven't seen before and it – it continues to be... It keeps on popping up or... Exactly. It, it it creates this direction for the players to go to next. And I think that that's... You, or you, you could, could have... 
Sorry, you could have the classic fleeting boss. So you have the boss that's like, oh, next time gadget, and then just flies away. <laughs> right? And then you just see him. Remember, I did this once in a campaign, and it was like this shadow guy, this like kind of thief, and he was always there, and he always found a way to just slip off out the cracks and then manage to, to escape you. But every time you meet him, he's stronger and stronger, and he kind of evolves with you. So if you're stringing micro dungeons, then you could definitely do that. Could be a fun way fun way to do it uh all right so i i think that covers bosses unless you had anything else to say about that alex no i think that was pretty interesting and actually gave me a lot of inspiration so i i'm quite eager to i i think i'm gonna do that like a mini like summer campaign where you know uh you know everyone's you know maybe more relaxed i'm a teacher so i'm off in the summers and so uh, i could do that and then in the summer i could do like maybe three four micro dungeons or maybe what could be fun is Everyone, because we're a whole group of DMs for the, those of you who are listening, and um, everyone likes to DM, so maybe we could each DM a micro dungeon, and oh, then it's all part of a greater story, right? Yeah. So we all kind of like agree on the purpose of the story, and then we all build our own little adventure, and then it all kind of strings together. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're super modular, and that does sound kind of cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, all right, so before we, you know, we sign off, usually on the show kind of wrap up the discussion with kind of the big talking points, the big things to take away. So Alex, why don't I give you the mic first? What, what's a micro dungeon? All right. <laughs> People... So a micro dungeon uh, is a place that uh, doesn't have necessarily a lot of rooms. It has a smaller amount of rooms, but each room has a very specific purpose. Um, and a, the players are going to take away something from every room and every room is going to make the story advance. I think is what we concluded to. Absolutely. Um, and then we talked about some of our strategies for designing these, these spaces and, and some of our lessons learned. I think one of my biggest lessons learned is that the spaces not only have to have functional purpose, but have to have purpose for like entertainment purpose, fun purpose. So make them spaces that you would want to explore as a player that have hidden treasures, that have things to interact with in every single room because otherwise it's going to feel stale. Uh, we talked a little bit about, about rewards, how there should be yeah. some hidden ones. And usually one of the main driving forces to enter this micro dungeon in the first place is a big reward, like a, a, a sword mm -hmm. or a weapon or some kind of piece of information. A legend you're chasing. Exactly, exactly. And then we talked a little bit about enemies. Do you want to talk about, yeah. about that, Alex? Yeah, so yeah, bosses don't necessarily have to be entities. They could be traps. Um, they Sorry, they don't have to be sentient. So they could be traps. Um, they could be um, puzzles. Um, but they don't necessarily have to be a live person. And that could be especially useful if you want to string these micro dungeons into your story. Uh, and so your your characters are going to the boss's summer house, but they're not necessarily encountering the boss. Absolutely. And and then we talked very quickly, and I think this is one of a really a really good important takeaway is that micro dungeons offer this unique way of allowing you to show a lot of different environments to your players. You can have different flavors, you can have different feelings attached to each of these spaces, which can be a lot of fun to create and a lot of fun to explore as a player. So if you haven't done that before, you're encouraged to to try. Yeah, actually, that could be pretty cool. Uh, so many more ideas popping up, like, you know, assigning a, a, an emotion to every micro dungeon and then trying to explore that emotion through your players. It can be cool. Yeah, it, it's more diverse, I find, than just a big... I mean, you can still have diversity in a big dungeon too, but you tend it's to easier. be limited to the, like, yeah. the geographic location that you're in. Exactly. It's just, it is Agreed. what it is. All right, so yeah, that's... That's it for for micro dungeons. I'm sure you know as soon as we sign off, we're gonna have more to say. But this is this is the is how how it is with these deep dives. There's always more to say. Uh, I hope you guys listening found this really insightful. If you had questions that you wanted to shoot my way, you're welcome to do so. You can contact me on Twitter. That's at role underscore play underscore chat, or you can email me at contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. I'd like to remind you to rate the show if you haven't already. And to spread the word, you know, we, this season has been really, really fun. We've been getting some really cool conversations. I'd love for you to share the conversations with your friends and your, and your tables to see if their opinions match yours, or maybe they have other things to say. With that, Alex, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. It was a lot of fun to talk to you about micro dungeons. Thank you. I had so much fun. 
yeah, did you have any uh, parting words of wisdom for the listeners before you head off? Uh, or places you want people to contact you if you want them to? <laughs> uh, well, you could contact me on Twitter, I guess. Uh, my handle is uh, at agerard02. Uh, if you have any questions, I don't check Twitter that often, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, probably if you could contact me through Matt, that would probably be a lot easier. I'm one of those players that likes diversity in uh, in a game that that's really rich in kind of different environments and that brings players elsewhere. So try to think of those players and uh, try to add some good descriptions to your uh, to, to your environments. Cool. Thanks, Alex. Bye, listeners. Let's call it a chat. <laughs>